0: أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وآله الطاهرين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Brothers and sisters and welcome to session number 24 of the A Lesson Per Page Qur'an program Inshallah today we will be beginning with page number 101 of the Holy Qur'an qualities of the hypocrites one should avoid at all costs. So in our last session we talked about uh, some of the traits of some of the munafiqeen, and of course I said there that even though inshallah, alhamdulillah, we are not one of the, the munafiqeen, the munafiqin being those who will uh, express iman and faith on the outside, but on the inside they have doubt, they, they are against the faith, they don't accept the faith. We talked about some of the characteristics they have yesterday, um, and how we have to be careful as Muslims to not follow their footsteps. All right. It is true that the Quran speaks about them and and their characteristics that they that they'll have, but it doesn't mean that doesn't apply to us. That's we have to be careful not to um, be similar to them in those bad and negative traits that they possess. Now. On this page as well, we have some other characteristics that I feel are important as well for us as Muslims to be careful about and watch out for. So let us recite the verses and then we'll get into the commentary. Uh, verses 142 to 143 of Surah An Nisa'. إن المنافقين يخادعون الله وهو خادعهم وإذا قاموا إلى الصلاة قاموا كسال يراؤون الناس ولا يذكرون الله إلا قَلِيلًا مذبذبين بين ذلك لا إلى هؤلاء ولا إلى هؤلاء ومن يضل الله فلن تجد له سبيلا the hypocrites indeed seek to deceive Allah but it is He who outwits them who deceives them When they stand up for prayer they stand up lazily showing off to the people and not remembering Allah except a little Wavering in between neither with these nor with those meaning they're always they're on the fence and this is something that I said I'll speak about today in our last session They are on the fence they haven't they haven't figured anything out for themselves yet, so they'll just they'll just um, go whichever direction the wind blows, so to speak. That's how they are, <clears throat> and that's the worst state to be in. Um, we do have in the Quran that the munafiqeen that they are at the lowest level of Jahannam. Okay, so this is not these are these are the traits and characteristics they have now. Um, Oh, excuse me, let me finish the verses and then we'll talk. And whoever Allah leads astray, you will never find any way for him. And this is something that I've dis- uh, discussed before as well. Whenever Allah says that, you know, if I misguide someone, there's no way you can guide them. What that means is that when a person leaves no room for their own guidance, and Allah as a result give them, gives them misguidance, yes, they won't be able to find the straight path anymore. Unless they change something about themselves really. If they do, then that's a different story. So now, let's speak about these verses a little bit and the lesson we're supposed to take away from them, insha'Allah. First of all, it says, This There's an explanation here I need to give. That they are trying to deceive Allah, but Allah is the one who's deceiving them. What does that mean? Does that mean that God is like always trying to find a way to trick us, fool us, deceive us? No, that's not the case. Or get us back. No, no, no. Here, um, at least some of our mufassirin have explained that when it says that Allah is the one who's deceiving what is meant is that these people think that they by doing what they do right they are gaining something while in reality what's happening is they're not gaining anything they're losing what are they losing they're losing their akhirah so it's as if they're the ones who are being deceived yes not that they are the ones deceiving now you you might you know uh, express your iman and faith to people, but hide your disbelief and be a munafiq and get away with things. And maybe you know, you know, maybe even it might work in your favor sometimes. But all in all, you're the loser. Why? Because at the end of the day, Allah knows what's in your heart, and on the day of judgment, your heart might even testify against you, and so you will be empty-handed on the day of judgment. So don't think you're the winner here. Don't think you're the one who's uh, fooling anybody and uh, and that people have some god has fallen for you, for what you're doing or anything like that no he's the one who gets the last laugh so to speak although i don't even like to say it like that it's not like allah's trying to get the last laugh even but he's the one eventually who will be on top that's that's what we can get from from that so wa huwa i needed to explain that part of the verse but now let's look at these characteristics brothers and sisters can someone read this, these verses and be like, okay, good, this is about the munafiqeen so I don't have to worry about it. I really believe in God. So this verse or these verses do not apply to me at all. We're good, alhamdulillah. No. Let us see what the characteristics of the munafiqeen are so that we can stay away from them at all costs. Because before you know it, you might become one of them. We have uh, hadiths for this, and this is common sense, by the way. That when if you are like a people and hang out with them long enough you will become one of them we have to be careful about this so let us see what these characteristics are when they get up for prayer they get up but they get up lazily they're not into it they don't like it as if they're turned off by it All right so that's number one and so I don't need to I need, I don't need to say that uh, us as Muslims it's not like we're always, super into our salat either. We have to be careful that we're not, we don't fall into this category of kusala. How? Well, brothers and sisters, first and foremost, if a person throughout the day is sinning, doing whatever they like, you know, not caring too much uh, of the harams that come up and so on, um, then of course when they get up for prayer, if they could care less about God throughout the day, or they're, they're careless or heedless about God throughout the day, then why, why should they expect for them to not be lazy in their salat and and, and not get distracted in their salat because throughout the day they're distracted from God that's why they're disobeying Him and so in salat I don't think it's going to be any different so the first thing I would say if a person wants to fight this laziness in salat and not being into the salat and all of that is to fix whatever is going on outside of their salat and so their salat might get better as well inshaAllah although some will say if you fix your salat first then everything else outside of your salat will be fixed. I personally based on the the akhlaq teachers that you know we were we were raised with I'm of the opinion that it's vice versa. A person who fixes the wajib and haram outside of salat slowly this will permeate their salat as well. But it's not either or either I have to say. We can try to do both at the same time. Try to clean up the um, the haram and wajibat that we're doing, that sloppiness that we might have when it comes to the wajib and haram, clean that up outside of the salat. At the same time, try to fix our salat as well in the sense of try to pay more attention and so on. But both have to be there, and I feel that th- what's very important is to fix the sins outside of the salat. So that's one. Another one is to just give more importance to the salat in the sense of maybe blocking out a time Throughout the day for the Salat, knowing that in my schedule I have set aside these 15 minutes for Salatul Dhuhr and Asr. And of course, people usually don't, it won't take them 15 minutes to do Dhuhr and Asr. So I'm talking about the whole package of Dhuhr and Asr, which includes maybe three or four minutes, um, or excuse me, maybe one or two minutes for the wudu part. Not just rush through the wudu, but like you know, as you're doing the wudu, maybe to think about this—that you are washing your face, your arms, and so on. There are urafa, who actually there—they would take the most pleasure in the wudu that they're even making. They would do it with concentration and focus, washing the face, then washing the arms, maybe doing reciting the duas or Quran while they're doing the wudu and so on and so forth. So that's number one. Number two, maybe to sit for two, three, four minutes and recite Quran before salat time or to just you know simply reflect on things yes reflect a little bit before salat and then to do your adhan, to do your iqamah, you know the, some of the etiquettes before pr- starting the prayer, wearing perfume and good scent uh, <coughs> things like that, wearing something uh, one of the adab uh, is to wear, like a, to wear white you know things like that, at least when you're feeling it to do these things yes so that uh, you take a little more spiritual pleasure in your salat, um, or else, yeah, it's going to turn into just another thing that you have to do. The fact that if we block off a time—15 minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes—for a salat, when it's blocked off in our schedule, we know that okay, I'm not in a rush to you know get this over with so I can move on. No, no, this is the time that I have for this, right? So even if I finish before that I, there's just that's just extra time that I have, so. I think that's a good way of looking at it, and I have seen some people ex- say this of the, akhlaq teachers out there that block off some time so that you know that this time is for this. So it's not like if I end a little sooner, I saved time. No, this time was dedicated to this task. So there's no point in trying to making it less, uh, in trying to make it less than what it deserves or is dedicated to it. <coughs> number one. So number one, laziness. Number two, yura nas. They're doing this salat to show off in front of people and get their attention and so on. Okay, I don't even need to get into this. Riya is bad. Riya in salat is the worst. That is supposed to be that which gets you, gets you closest to Allah and you're getting closer to others through it. So that's number two. We have to be very, very careful. Very careful that when if we are praying in front of others that we just we, we just dismiss others as anyone important in our mind when it comes to how we do our salat. Number two. Um, they don't remember Allah except just a little bit. Now, it's, it probably means in the salat, right? So another thing that we have to be careful about is that we remember Allah a lot in our salat. And so Aytullah Bahjad, he says, look, he understands that um, we as people who are struggling to have a proper salat, we will forget Allah in the salat. He says, look, don't worry about it. It's okay. But when you remember in your salat that, oh my God, I'm praying. Let's say rak'ah number two, in your ruku' you remember. He says, from there on, don't let yourself, your mind wander voluntarily. Don't let it happen. Keep it there at least. I really like this approach. I think it's a very practical approach. Instead of trying to have a perfect salat from the get-go, it's not possible. So we will have to identify where we are lacking where we are struggling and then do damage control i think this is damage control right here <clears throat> and to figure out okay at least in rak'ah number 2 when i remember that oh i'm supposed to be talking to allah i i i make sure that i don't wander off again and if i do wander off again for the th- second time third time whenever i get my whenever i get my attention back where it's supposed to be my mind where it's supposed to be what am i going to do what i'm going to do is i'm going to uh try to hold myself there okay so, لَا يَذْكُرُونَ اللَّهِ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا They don't remember Allah except a little bit in Salat. So you and I who are not munafiq, we should not have this characteristic or at least try our best to tackle it and figure it out. But finally, مُذَبْذَبِينَ بَيْنَ ذَلِكَ لَا إِلَهَ وَلَا They are on the fence, wavering in between. They're not totally mu'min, they're not totally kafir. But this is not a good thing. Someone might say, well, it's better than being kafir altogether. The answer is, look, at the end of the day we know that these are the people that are referred to as munafikin, and other verses of the Qur'an let us know that the munafiqeen, they are at the lowest level, levels of Jahannam and the Hellfire. So, look, just because you're on the fence isn't going to mean anything, no. And so it's super important for us to figure things out for ourselves, not let doubt creep in. And if doubt creeps in, that's fine we go and find the answers to our doubts. As a matter of fact, doubt is not, is, a, is not a very bad thing. I might have said it before in one of our lessons, that Ayatullah Jawadi Amwali, he says that shak and shubha, these um, doubts that sometimes we have, these are a blessing. And of course, it's, I think it's very clear and obvious why they're a blessing, because when a person has these doubts, they go and tackle them, find answers, and now they have an even stronger conviction in their belief and what they believe in. So these were some of the characteristics of the munafiqeen Insha'Allah, we are not of the munafiqeen, and we are, and surely we are not, but we have to make sure that we, if we're not one of the munafiqeen, that we're not practically like them when it comes to such characteristics. Page number 102 of the Holy Qur'an. <clears throat> Talk about the good, not the bad. So, I would say that verses like these are pushing us to be Um, as positive as we can be, especially when it comes to others and what others have done. And not to remind others of the bad, not to disclose the bad that others have committed. Yes, when it comes to the masses and when it comes to the people. Verses number 148 and 149 of Surah An-Nisa (laughs) La Yahbu Lahuil Jahra bis Su iminal Kawli Illa Man Lolim. Wakan Allah who Samia alima In Tobdu Khairan Otufuhu Altafuan su in Fain Allah Hakana fuangira. Allah does not like the disclosure of anyone's bad conduct in speech. Except by someone who has been wronged. Okay, so it says, don't speak about the bad conduct of people don't disclose the bad conduct of people in your speech don't talk about it but then but an exception is made that we'll talk about <clears throat> and Allah is all hearing all knowing so like when you're talking about the bad of others and what they've done the bad conduct of others Allah's there watching and hearing too don't think he doesn't know Whether you disclose a good deed that you do, or hide it, or excuse a bad deed, Allah is indeed All-excusing, All-Powerful. All All right, so uh, verse number 148 gave us a rule. Verse number 49 gave us another rule, or maybe an exception to the rule in 148, uh, whatever you want to call it. So let's talk about this a little bit. No one's perfect out there, brothers and sisters. That's the first thing that we got to remember, all right? You and I, especially, we got to remember no one out there is perfect, so and I'm not perfect either. So, we're all in this together, we're all in the same boat. Now, others will make big mistakes, little mistakes, and so these are where the tests come in because people are not perfect and I'm there with them, okay. And so, this is where the test is because am I going to go around talking about this now or not? Well, first of all, it's backbiting if I do, if I go and speak behind someone's back, about the bad things that they might have done, that is backbiting. Now here the verses don't speak about it as backbiting. They don't condemn this act as backbiting, All right, although lots of times it will be. But it's interesting how the Qur'an here is just putting its finger on another aspect of this phenomenon altogether. That look, Allah is satarul ayub Allah hides the aib and flaws and bad of others, you should do the same. In other words, Allah does not, that's what the verse is saying, does not like the disclosure of these things. If you ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala what He thinks of spreading negativity, forget about the haram-halal aspect, forget about the gayba aspect and the backbiting aspect, that's a different story for sure. Like That is going to finish the job completely. But let's just assume, let's just assume that this isn't backbiting or that it's not problematic. All in all, spreading negativity is not something that is encouraged by Allah. Allah doesn't like it when you spread negative negativity in a community. It's like you're spreading poison because and then a lot of other things will come out of this. A lot of other negative things will come out of it. When you tell people about some of the bad things that some people have done, what happens is that friendships are are lost, expectations are go up go up in the sense of, you know, or scrutiny goes up, excuse me, and that person will be now scrutinized even more while no one deserves to be scrutinized that much. You know, lots of things happen. Marriages might fall apart, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Like there's a ton of things that one can think of. I'm just saying these off the top of my head right now. So the root of this is the fact that it is al-jahra bis spreading this negativity and disclosing it for the masses, for the people. But yes, there's an exception. Illa man Yeah, sometimes you have been wronged. And there's a reason for you to let people know. Now of course exactly what the exception here is. An individual will have to ask their marja taklid about this. But all in all, the fact that you have been wronged and dhulm has been happening to you. Or you've been oppressed, that will be enough to sanction you going around telling people until you get the problem solved. Yes, but once again, as I said, the details of this have to be discussed elsewhere. But there is this exception: illa man zulim. So, not all backbiting is haram. It might still be backbiting when you're saying something that is wrong, that is bad about somebody behind their back. It is backbiting, but it is the halal type. Sometimes it is even wajib to speak of the flaws of certain people, okay, to expose them, or to get in the way of them continuing their wrongdoing, or so that others don't fall into their traps. For example, if someone comes to me and says, I want to get married to this guy he's proposing to me, if I know some bad things about that person that should, this person should know, that this sister or brother or whoever should know, I need to share that because this is something important. So there will always be exceptions. One of those exceptions is if I have been wronged, and that's what this verse is touching on. So that's the rule: no spreading negativity. And then Allah says something else now, kind of to make an exception, but it's not a real exception. He says, you do, "If you do want to spread anything, spread good and positivity." In tubdu khayran aw you can go ahead and if if, there, if you're really dying to spread stuff, then oh, go, hey, no problem, go spread good. Yeah, why not? Spread good, or if you don't want to spread it, you want to hide it, go ahead, hide it. It's okay, it's not wajib for you to spread good. So let see how Allah makes an exception, but it's not a real exception here. <laughs> because we wanted to see where we can spread bad. The only exception he made was if dhulm has happened and we have been wronged. Okay, that's a different story, but other than that, if there's anything you want to spread, it should be good. Or hide it, that's fine as well. But no, no, I want to see what I can do when it comes to bad. The su, can I spread that? Please let me spread that. He says, If you really want to do something when it comes to su and bad and evil, what I want to see you do is, I want to see you forgive it. Overlook it. Excuse it. So that's the only thing you can do when it comes to the bad. No, 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 I'm not going to let you spread it. I'm letting you know I do not like it for you to spread this negativity. And here do not like doesn't mean like it's crew. it's better not to. No, here do not does not like means that it's not allowed. Okay? As I said, it, it'll fall under backbiting or something else of other, um, other haram things. So we have four things. Number one, or maybe even we can say five things disclosing bad of others you can't, you're not supposed to, Allah doesn't like it number two, exception to that rule is you can if there is a dhulm involved and a wronging of you involved the details of which we have to ask our marajah, number three spreading good, number four or, or disclosing good, number four hiding good, also fine, number five Uh, excusing and forgiving bad that might have happened. That is also an option if you would like. So there's five things here that we find in this verse. All in all, what we get out of it is, brothers and sisters, negativity, no positivity. Yes, when it comes to Allah and what Allah wants. Especially when it has to do with the doing of others and the behavior of others. Now, having said all of that, um, I do want to point out one nice point here, and it's, it's a nice intricacy in the verse. And, and and I think we can, can we can d- derive some proper uh, conclusion from this as well, which I really like. Okay, and that is where it says al ta'fu an-su to forgive and overlook the bad of others." The sentence or the verse started with "in," which means "if." Okay. Or now in the translation says whether. Whether you disclose a good or not. But look, when we say if or whether you do this or that, we have to end it with something else or else the sentence is not complete. So for example, if I tell you, hey, if I see you, and then I stop there, that sentence is incomplete. If demands another verb as a result of the if. Okay, so if I see you, I'll give you a high five or a fist bump nowadays, you know? That kind of thing. If I if you call me tomorrow, if you remind me tomorrow, I'll send you the money. I'll wire you the money. And so on and so forth. All right? Whether I see you or not, it doesn't matter. I'm going to do what I need to do. All right. So, these are examples that I'm giving you. Now, in the verse, we don't find that second verb. All it says is if you disclose good or hide it, or you forgive and overlook evil, what? Verily Allah is forgiving and powerful. Wait, we were talking about us and what we're supposed to do. And if we do this and that, I mean, I'm waiting for something like, if you do this and that, Allah is happy with you, Allah will reward you, Allah will take you to Jannah, something like that. It doesn't say anything like that. It says, if you do this, Allah is all-forgiving and all-powerful. What does that have to do with anything? Well, our Mufassirin have explained, and I was happy because uh, this came to my mind as well. But then I noticed that Alamat has said this as well. He says, Look, it's true that the result is not there. Okay, the verse, the sentence might seem incomplete, but it's not. Why? It is actually being very eloquent, the verse. It's saying, Look, if you forgive then Allah is also forgiving and all-powerful. Meaning what? Meaning that Allah has a characteristic of being all-powerful. And so everyone is at His disposal. He can get anyone back that He wants, but He's also all-forgiving. So these are the traits of God. So if you now have the power to disclose or get back at someone for the evil that they've done, but you don't and you choose to overlook it and forgive it, you are becoming just like Allah in this trait of Allah. All right? So in other words, you can take out that part that says verily Allah is all-excusing, all-powerful, and instead write, you are becoming like Allah in, in, in some of the traits that Allah has. And this is something that our Uh, our ulama have explained that Allah wants us to, of course at a much much lower level, to have the characteristics that he has. Being generous, being merciful, yeah, all of these things, um, loving, caring, all of these things, Allah wants us to have them. These are godly characteristics and traits that one can also have, of course, at a much lower level. So here, it's as if the verse is saying, if you you, uh, spread good, or if you hide the good, or if you overlook the bad deeds of people, then you have become like, you you have adopted some of the characteristics of God because you have the power to do something, but you choose not to and to overlook and exercise afu instead. And so this reminds us of that famous hadith that says, إِذَا قَدَرْتَ على عَدُوِكَ فجعل الْعَفْوَ عَنْهُ شُكْرًا لِلْقُدْرَةِ عَلَيْهِ That when you actually overcome your enemy and you overpower your enemy and now you have power over him you can do whatever you want to him or her then make overlooking and excusing him or her your thanks and gratitude to Allah for giving you this power over them okay instead of now exercising your power getting them back no. let this be an opportunity for your spiritual growth, forgive them Wow, that's Islam for you brothers and sisters. This is Islamic culture for you brothers and sisters. These are Quranic teachings for you brothers and sisters to let go. But yeah, of course, sometimes your enemy, you overpower them and you know if you let them go they're going to come back and kill you or something or hurt you or whatever. (laughs) We can't be dumb about these rules either. We know and we understand there's always those exceptions that are very, very clear. So, but usually the rule is otherwise. Page number 103 of the Holy Qur'an The cross, truth or fiction? Okay, so let me give some context here to um, to this verse that we're going to cover. This verse is in the middle of a bunch of verses that are speaking of all the wrong that the Yahud of and the Bani Israel did. Okay, to the point where, for example, verse number 154 of the, of this surah, it says that they got in so much trouble that Allah lifted the Tūr, the, the mountain of Tūr over them. And so at least some interpretations of this verse say that, yes, Allah actually to punish them and to scare them, He lifted a mountain over their heads, over the heads of Bani Israel, so that they listened to Him. Like how bad can one get that Allah has to force them to listen through this means. It's crazy. But anyway, um, so that's one example of it. Another example of what, what the, some of the bad that they did, it says that they're asking you, O oh Prophet, they ask you for a book that comes from the sky. But this is something they also asked Prophet Musa. Or actually, excuse me, they asked Prophet Musa something greater than that. Right? They said, show us God. We want to see God uncovered. And so what happened is, That they were punished because of that. And then they took the golden calf and they, you know, worshipped it and we forgave them. And so look at all these bad things that are happening. One of the bad things that it talks about is the fact that they killed other prophets and then it comes to the fact that they said that we have killed Prophet Isa. Verse number, or verses number 157 and 158. أفصورة النساء وقولهم إن قتلنا المسيح عيسى بن مريم رسول الله وما قتلوه وما صلبوه ولكن شبيها لهم وإن الذين اختلفوا فيه لفي شك منه ما لهم به من علم إلا اتباع الظن وما قتلوه يقينا بر رفعه الله إليه وكان الله عزيزا حكيما Okay, and so they're in trouble, they are scolded, they are condemned for one more thing, and for their saying, we killed the Messiah, Jesus, Son of Mary, the apostle of Allah. So the fact that they even said that, that's something evil by them. Though they did not kill him, nor did they crucify him, but so it was made to appear to them. Indeed, those who differ concerning him, you know, concerning Prophet Isa, are sure, like they don't know what happened to him exactly, and so they'll have their own opinions. Are surely in doubt about him, they do not have any knowledge of that beyond following the conjectures. So they're not 100% sure, they're just throwing opinions out there. And certainly, they did not kill him. Definitely, this is the case that they did not kill Prophet Isa. So then, what happened to him? Rather, Allah raised him up toward Himself and Allah is almighty, all-wise, he knows what he's doing, don't worry about it. Alright, so this is an important set of verses here because it is the official stance of Islam regarding the crucifixion of Prophet Isa So, let's see how long this is going to take. There are some important points here that we need to talk about, just so the brothers and sisters have an idea of what they can say if they're ever asked of the stance. Um, of Islam regarding the crucifixion of Prophet Isa alayhi salam. First and foremost, let's talk about how important the cross is. Of course, the cross representing the crucifixion of Isa alayhi salam. This, brothers and sisters, is one of the most important tenets and, and teachings and beliefs of the Christian faith. We have to understand this. You can't just dismiss this um, and think like they you know, no one's gonna get upset. <laughs> no, no. This one is very important. I'll give you an example. I'll give you a story that I have shared before as well with others. Um we had um in the uh the university that I was um studying uh Christianity and Judaism in Qom. <laughs> uh, someone might say, Why are you doing that in Qom? That was on the side, next to the House of Studies. But um when we were there, they brought one of these um Catholic theologians from Germany he came and he lectured us on certain matters of the faith of Christianity and Catholicism anyway he was talking about how there are lots of metaphorical um, stories in the New Testament and even in the Old Testament um, for example he said prophet adam alayhi salam. no that the whole story is you know it's just symbolic of some it just symbolizes things it's metaphorical prophet Esau walking on water in the in the new testament you might find that's metaphorical lots of things are metaphorical okay according to him now that was his opinion and i don't think that is the mainstream view of things but anyway he was sharing his opinion that's beyond the point right now the point i'm trying to make is this i asked him right there i said okay well what about the crucifixion and the cross? Well, maybe that's also metaphorical and it never happened. And there, it was there that he said, no, he put his foot down. He's like, there's no way that this was metaphorical or that this is just symbolic and it's a story that's being told so that we take a lesson from it or something. No, this really did happen. And he was very firm about it. Why? Because, as I said, this is a foundational to the entire Catholic slash Christian faith, brothers and sisters. I don't even want to say Catholic, I would say, you know, it's more than that. Um, Maybe all denominations, I haven't done a thorough research on this, but something tells me that all denominations of Christianity believe in this. That the cross is for real. It did happen. Why? Because that is what the whole New Testament and the new oath between God and the people and His people and His servants. That is what it's all about, the New Testament is all about. The Old Testament was what? When we say the Old Testament, the old oath, the old deal, so to speak, between God and the people was that if you listen to Me, if you obey My commands, that you will reach salvation. But it seems, and I don't want to misrepresent the Catholic or the Christian faith here right now, but I'm just sharing with you what I have of understanding of the faith. That God eventually came to the conclusion that, look, the people are just not going to follow His commands. They're going to sin all the time. Maybe this goes back to the original sin of Adam and how his descendants were all tainted with original sin, it's called. You can uh, look that up, original sin. That, That itself is a theological discussion within the Catholic or Christian faith. I'm sorry, I keep saying Catholic, I should say Christian. Alright, so anyway, um, you can look into that. But God sees that, look, mankind just isn't going to listen 100% to Him. And so He has to put His sleeves up and get involved and do something for mankind. Apparently mankind will not reach salvation through this means. So what am I supposed to do? I am supposed to go down in the form of man and uh, um, atone for the sins of man. How? Through the crucifixion. So after I get crucified, after I am killed, what the people are supposed to do now is instead of trying to reach salvation through obedience of my commands, they are to try their best to reach salvation through accepting me as their Lord and accepting me as the one who came and sacrificed himself for them. So they don't have to necessarily try to gain salvation through the Mosaic Law, but rather try to gain salvation through love of Me <clears throat> and accepting Me and accepting the cross and the crucifixion. So that's that's brothers and sisters, that's the whole idea of the New Testament now, the new oath, the new deal that God has with the ma- with mankind. That you now don't worry about necessarily getting salvation through law. Or through you know wajib and haram as we say, but rather you gain salvation through this. This is the new promise that we have. This is the new deal we have together. This is the new testament that we have. Hence, we have the new testament also as the name of the book. Okay, that the Christian faith has, but the Judaic faith does not have and does not believe in. They only have the Old Testament, and they will not even refer to it as the Old Testament. They will refer to it as um, the Torah, the I don't know, um, you know, the Tanakh, or things like that, okay? So that's what they will refer to it as. The, it is only the Christians who will refer to it as the Old Testament. Meaning what? That, mean, that means it's nullified, it's not valid anymore. Uh, but the Jews right now, today, the Judaic faith does not believe that it's an Old Testament that has been nullified. No, it is, it is the what we have to follow, right? The Torah is what we have to follow. All right, so anyway, I don't want to get into too many details here. Um, And the fact that I use the word Tanakh, there's a reason why or else uh, they'll just, I think from what I remember, they just refer to it as the Torah. Um, Don't worry about the Tanakh part too much. All right, so anyway, um, let's go back to what we were talking about, (coughs) which is these verses now. It says that they said we killed him. But very clearly the Qur'an says, no, they did not kill him, they did not crucify him. And all of you who are talking, you have shak, you have doubt. Why? Because everything you're saying is based on conjecture. The only time you don't have doubt and you know what you're talking about is when you have conviction 100% in something, or else anything less than 100% is it has no value. It has absolutely no value, and the Quran refers to it as shak here. Okay. So that's having said that, what is the stance now, Islamically? Bal Allah. This bal, which means rather, is super important here. Why? Because if Prophet Isa, السلام, if his soul was the only one that was, if they had killed him or crucified him and he died as a result of the crucifixion, it would be wrong for Allah to say, Rather I raised him to myself. Okay? When Allah says rather," that means what I said previously didn't happen, okay so his soul isn't the only thing that was raised. Prophet Isa's soul is not the is not the only thing that was raised is the conclusion that we want to draw Allah wants to draw from everything it's going to take a little bit of explanation for me here when it says that we um they didn't kill him, they didn't crucify Him, rather we raised Him. We want to see what we raised Him means. Does it mean that it was His soul only that went up to Allah, or it was His soul and His body? Right? When it says rather, that means what happened, what we're talking about before rather, is the opposite of what we're we're talking about after rather. Right? So for example, if I tell you... um, I've never seen the guy rather I've only heard of him that means that I've never seen him right Uh, or for example if I give you a better example if I tell you um, he didn't hit me rather I hit him it's the opposite right lots of times we bring rather to show that the opposite of something or something different than before rather took place okay this is just how we use rather in a sentence okay something different than what happened before. So we want to figure out now, did did Isa's soul only go up? Or was it his soul and body? If it was only his soul that God takes up, when he says, rather, he, we raised him up toward himself, if what is meant here is only the soul, then bringing rather is pointless in this sentence. Because before rather, what did we have? Crucifixion or killing and assassination, right? In both cases, the body is still there. The soul is going up to Allah, right? So, in a sense, it's Allah raising his soul. But then it says, rather we raise his soul to ourselves. Doesn't make sense. Now, if you, it's hard for you to get what I'm saying right now through the explanation that I'm giving, that's fine. I will give you the ultimate result and conclusion of what we're saying inshallah, so don't worry about it. But try to follow if you can. If Prophet Isa was killed either by assassination or by crucifixion, and so what happens is his soul rises up to Allah and his body is left there, it doesn't make sense for Allah to say, rather we raised him to ourselves, and then what he means by raising means that I lifted his soul to myself and not his body. because. That's what crucifixion is. That's what assassination is. So why are you saying rather? And by saying rather, you're saying that you know what ha- what we, what was what came before this word is not true. No, it's true. I mean, you, you're raising his soul. So why are you saying no? We we rather we raise his soul. So, having said that, Allah says this rather, this bal that's in the sentence here or in the verse here, shows that not was he wasn't crucified or assassinated aka his soul only rising to god no 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 it was his soul and body that we rise that, we, we, that rose to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala well then what happened to the people well, then who was it that they crucified shubbihalahum that there was they they were they were confused they thought that they got the right guy they got the wrong guy or whatever explanation you want to give there but it was not isa that was killed rather Allah took him to himself, meaning took his body and soul. Now what does that mean exactly? Brothers and sisters, we don't know exactly what is meant. عَلَّمَةَ here, he says this. He says, we're not 100% sure. We, what does it mean that did he, did Allah save his body and then he died somewhere else and his soul went up to him? Or no, did Allah raise him body and soul to himself and he went to liqa'ullah, meet, meeting the Lord, but with body as well does it mean that god preserved his body and soul and took him somewhere else and he's alive now somewhere else what does it mean exactly he says we're not a hundred percent sure but if but he says what we can say is this that for sure his body is involved in all of this it's not just his soul number one and number two what we can say is that um don't, don't anyone think that oh this is like that's that's impossible though because look, we're talking about Prophet Isa here. Even if we were talking about anyone else, still, God is all-powerful and miracles can happen. But all in all, let's not forget who we're talking about here. We're talking about Prophet Isa salam. Who is this? This is a person that has maybe the most miracles and the most interesting life. If you're going to ask me, I'll put him up there with Prophet Sulaiman and Prophet Dawood when it comes to just interesting things that have happened in his life. Why do I say that? First of all, um, excuse me, let's just to warm, thi- warm things up and break the ice. Uh, he was born without a father, okay? So number one, that's very interesting and miraculous. But number two, like the fact that he spoke in the cradle. Now we have other prophets that might have spoken in the cradle as well, but he also spoke in the cradle. Um, he uh, revived the dead. Uh, that doesn't happen every day, you know? Reviving the dead, curing the one with leprosy, the one who was born blind, you know, curing them so they can see? Are you kidding me? He makes birds out of clay, then blows into them, and before you know it, this is an, it's an actual bird. This is not magic, this is a miracle, brothers and sisters, it's an actual bird. Um, and finally, to inform people of what they have hidden in their homes, under their beds or wherever, right? So this kind of ilm-ghayb type of thing that he has, all of this coming from Allah. So all these extraordinary things that Prophet Isa has, and then you don't want his That's how his life started, and how his life was throughout. Hey, why not finish it with a big bang as well, you know? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala lifts him to himself with body, not just soul. Okay? So Allah says, don't find it far-fetched that Allah did something miraculous when it, come to, it came to his body as well. Maybe when they stormed where he was staying to take him and arrest him, you know, apprehend him and take him and, and finally crucify him, maybe some things happened there and Allah lifted him there with his body and soul and they got the wrong person. Who knows? And so I find it very, very intriguing and interesting how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does things. When He wants to save somebody, He will do it in any way possible Prophet Ibrahim was cast into the fire the fire became cool on him and, uh, and other examples that we have as well so to conclude brothers and sisters we are sure according to the um, according to the uh, the apparent meaning and what we're getting out of that verse Is that the body and soul, everything of Prophet Isa, were lifted to Allah, were raised to Allah? But what that exactly means, we're not 100% sure, but we believe in miracles, and this is one of the miracles of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Allahumma nawir qulubana bil Quran, wa zayin akhlaqana bil Quran, wa najjina minan nari bil Quran, wa adhilna al jannata bil Quran, Allahumma jalil Quran alana fil dunya kareena. وفي القبر مونسا وعلى الصراط نورا وفي الجنة رفيقا ومن النار سترا وحجابا وإلى الخيرات كلها دليلا برحمتك يا أرحم الراحمين والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته